Legion are the grogs of Tikidum. Thus many are fortified the hearts and livers of denizens in the new world. Ally or foe, remedy and vice, high-rise hotshot or beachcombing muse. Throughout history, alcohol has been an accomplice in sharpening blades and dulling visage. The very fact we call the distilled vapors spirits indicates the inherent divinity we apply to it. And from hardy meads and ales, to decadent wine and brandies, none other of these spirits has so indelibly ingratiated itself in our mythos than rum. Whether it's swashbuckling pirates cavorting about the Caribbean, or sloshed stumbling cruisers sporting pina coladas and Ray-Ban tans, rum has captivated our imaginations and led us to a whole new state of mind. Through folk tales or passport stamps, rum has been the muse of escapism for centuries. But the undeniable thread that binds fact to fiction is the sea. And it was on the sea where some claim the very first cocktail was ever mixed. Grog. For better or worse, rum has long been tied to the trope of the drunken sailor. Like the gallows conversion of captured pirate John Archer. Quote, By strong drink I have been heated and hardened into the crimes that are now more bitter than death unto me. Unquote. He said this as a claim to his savior moments before swinging from the noose. Blackbeard himself was said to be known for holding his rum in true piratical fashion, often mixing in gunpowder and igniting it before swilling it down. Such a commodity was rum among the threadbare and bedraggled lot of pirates that after running out once, Blackbeard wrote in his journal, quote, Such a day, rum all out, our company somewhat sober, a damn confusion among us, unquote. During his final stand on Ocracoke Island, it purportedly took an ambush, a gunshot, and two slashes to the neck to finally bring the pirate captain down, no doubt due to the high aspirations of rum. Even in these our modern days, the blight of demon rum has exposed the ill-begotten whimsy of man. According to a bartender at the Capitol Hilton Trader Vicks, they would remain open after hours, so... President Richard Nixon could stop in for a few grogs and lament the pressures of office. The link between American politics, I suppose, is not all petticoats and tea parties. Tragically, Phil Spector stopped off at a Beverly Hills Trader Vicks for at least two grogs before later murdering actress Lana Clarkson. But I'm not here to give rum a bad name. No, booze may be a vehicle, but but those men decided to take the ride. I only wish to highlight how the story of Rome is one of redemption. Foregoing its checkered past, it's been alongside us throughout history, solidifying itself amid legend and lore. Rome has provoked revolution and jump-started our founding father's nascent economy. It lay in repose through prohibition till finally finding its rightful place in the forefront of our culture's greatest virtue escapism. In this way, rum should be lauded and lionized, as are the men and women who also capitalized on the high seas. Thus brings us to the topic of today's episode.
a rum drink made famous by the British Navy and infamous by Don the Beachcomber. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Tony. Welcome to Pod Tiki, where today we discuss the Navy Grog. Now, we covered the history of Grog in our painkiller episode, but it seems apropos to do a bit more here. First of all, why rum? How did it become synonymous with the Navy? Well, Her Majesty's Navy handing out rations of fine Madeira wine and French brandy was commonplace, but those became rare and rarer as England was inevitably at war with one or both of those countries at any given time. The beer of that time would spoil on the long voyage from Europe to the West Indies, so that wasn't a viable option. At the same time the British Navy was experiencing a dreadful lack of cheer, down Island Way, planters found themselves in a surplus of rum, but with dollar signs in their eyes. Demand? Meet supply. Whoa! Get a room, you two! Planters, merchants, and sailors found themselves in a bit of an economic circle jerk, but they still had to convince Parliament. A paper was actually drafted and disseminated extolling the virtues of Caribbean rum to the pinky out crowd back in London. Eventually, hands were shook, babies were kissed, backs were scratched, and quids were pro quoed till the Navy Provisions Office finally declared rum the official spirit of the Royal Navy. Because they don't just say things in the Royal Navy, they declare them. So, well, oi, mate, time to splice the main brace, innit? But one rum only leads to another, as they say. Okay, maybe only I say that. But it held true for the British Navy. To use one of Ben Franklin's euphemisms for drinking, those boys had been to Barbados. It took the foresight and unintentional profundity of one particular officer to not only pacify his men, but inadvertently create a genre of drink, therefore cementing rum in maritime cocktail history. Shortly after Lawrence Washington inherited Little Hunting Creek Plantation in 1740, he renamed it after his friend and decorated naval officer Admiral Edward Vernon. Following Lawrence's death, Mount Vernon was passed to his little half-brother, George, who had a bit of an affinity for the Jamaican rum himself. It was Admiral Vernon who noticed the effect that rum was having on his crews, a quote, stupefying of their rational qualities, he once wrote. But it wasn't totally the sailor's fault. You see, in Vernon's day, the tool used to measure alcohol content in spirits, the Sykes hydrometer, had not yet been invented. The standard practice was to mix a bit of rum with a bit of gunpowder and light the mixture. From this practice, we get two common modern terms. If the saturated gunpowder ignited, that was proof of the alcohol content. Legend has it that English sailors would use a magnifying glass and the sun to replicate this technique on board ships in order to verify their rum was navy strength. Imagine how many eyebrows were singed off by Jamaican rum. Blackbeard would have been proud. In truth, it was almost always overproof by modern standards, which is precisely why Vernon came up with the idea to dilute his men's rum rations with water. 
the ship's purser would dispense rations twice a day with the first round being <laughs> at noon. I guess I shouldn't tease my wife about bottomless mimosas on Sunday mornings, huh? But seriously, someone should tell those mimosas to put some pants on. I digress. Even watered down, the rum ration received was the equivalent of five modern cocktails worth of rum per person per day. Eventually, the crew realized a little sugar and citrus could spruce up the watered-down but still highly potent rum. And using the highly eponymous Admiral Vernon once again, the crews began referring to this mixture by Vernon's nickname, Old Grog. The tradition of officially distributing high-alcohol booze to the people who were considered the world's strongest navy for centuries <laughs> continued till Black Top Day in 1970. When the final rum rations were drunk and the remaining barrels were ceremoniously rolled overboard. The sun finally set on the English Empire that day. While they nursed a century-old hangover. Except for the sea life around Great Britain, who apparently got hammered on all that discarded rum. Darling, it's better. Down where it's wetter. Indeed. It sounds like this is a nice place to button up the story of grog and its legacy with the sea. But while limey sailors were enjoying grog rations, another man was embarking on wayward adventures. A man who from the ephemeral detritus of his own exotica would beget a worldwide phenomenon. A man named Ernest Gant, or Don the Beachcomber. Don Beach, as he would change his name to, embodied everything I truly love about Tiki. For he possessed the irrevocable talent of taking in the world around him, processing it through his own creative filters, and not regurgitating, but reassembling it into the world he envisioned. In this way, I envy his creative acuity and place him alongside such celebrated world builders as Walt Disney and George Lucas. In fact, judging by how much Tiki is incorporated into Disney parks and hotels, I imagine Walt a big fan of Don's work. A common misconception, and one that I myself am guilty of, is that the Navy Grog appearing on Don the Beachcomber menus as early as 1941 is a Tiki-fied version of Vernon's British Navy Grog, when, in fact, an early caption reveals Don's Grog as, quote, dedicated to the gallant men of the American Navy. As a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Air Force, Don was himself a World War II veteran. I'm sure he harbored a great respect for his royal counterparts, but as we independent colonies are wont to do, Don's Navy Grog was British in inspiration only. It's a good thing because the English recipe of watered-down rum, lime juice, and brown sugar is about as bland as their cuisine. Although, I will say beans for breakfast are pretty good. But you know how we do it in the New World. We take something from another country and bedazzle it. And before you start castigating me for cultural appropriation, just think of how much you like pizza, sushi, and Cinco de Mayo. Don claims to have put Navy Grog on the menu as a high-octane manly alternative tiki drink. For those with bravado wishing to eschew the orchids and fruit for a very phallic ice cone protruding with lazy sensuality from the potent potion. Seriously, if this ice cone was a guy, he'd be leaning with one elbow on the bar wagging his eyebrows at you. Let me explain. Rather than putting the drink on ice or using a large cube, the ice cone doubled as a functional garnish, 
made by pressing snow ice into a champagne flute, forming a cone shape. The ice cone would be placed with the wide end in the drink, so the <clears throat> tip was breaking the surface like breaking the surface like the top of an iceberg. Because nothing says manly like a big white shaft sticking out of my glass. In all seriousness, Don's Grog was crafted to be a booze-heavy, no-frills libation for those who thought Tiki was a little too foo-foo. Which is ironic considering his first famous Tiki drink was the Indomitable Zombie. Wait a minute. Wait, huh? Wait. Do you guys feel that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I thought so. This feels like the right feels like the right spot, doesn't it? Let's make a drink. For all of you who are thinking, finally he's done with his sanctimonious blabbering so we can get to the drink. Well, I have bad news for you. Because there's a lot to get to when it comes to the Navy Grog recipe. Starting with the idea that Grog has almost become more of a style of cocktail than a specific recipe. And every self-respecting purveyor of paradismal potions has their own version. Myself included. The impetus of this episode was a recent trip to a tiki bar called Suffering Bastard in Sanford, Florida. It was the final day of my Christmas visit with my folks. We shared a delicious dinner at one of my favorite spots, wherein I got reprimanded by a well-meaning but kind of scary stout German woman for ordering two things that apparently didn't go well together. But afterwards, my folks and I walked down to Tuffy's. In one dimly lit corner of this vast tap room is an ominously glowing corridor leading to a small room adorned with all the classic tiki ephemera one would expect. Top of cloth, shrunken heads bamboo, ship nets, and to top it all off, a giant suffering bastard tiki mug behind the bar. Everything about this place emanates true tiki culture. And the drinks? Besides the laudable rum selection, best Mai Tai I may have ever had. But it wasn't that classic that caught my attention. I wanted to try something truly tiki. I had the feeling about this bar, and I had a feeling that I could trust them to do tiki right. So I wanted to order a drink I had previously never had, something difficult to find at the more superficial superficial tiki bars. Then I saw it pictured on the menu, with all its prodigious ice cone glory, and I knew it was time to dive into the Navy Grog. And what a time it was. The amalgamation of flavors blew me away. Not too sweet, fruity, but complex. What left me truly odd, though, was the way those three different spirits blended seamlessly to create a perfect rum rhapsody. A true testament to Don the Beachcomber's surgical-like prowess in rum genuity. I was hooked, and I wanted to know how to do it myself. So I guess the best place to start is with the basics. Navy Grog is lime juice, grapefruit juice, honey, club soda, and rums from Puerto Rico, Jamaica, and Guyana, respectively. I sampled many a grog for my extensive research on this episode, including Don Beach and Trader Vic's originals, as well as recipes from Jeff Beach Bomberry, Martin Kate, and Shannon Mustifer. This is where it all gets a bit confusing. Don the Beachcomber did invent the Navy Grog around 1940. By the mid-40s, we see it popping up on Trader Vic's menus. Now, Vic was no garden-variety copycat, and his recipe resembled Don's in name only. 
In fact, using the name of existing drinks with totally different recipes was kind of his thing. Vic was a master mixologist in his own right, so most of the time it worked out and we got great new drinks. Other times we get Trader Vic's version of the Suffering Bastard. If there are two things I know, it's we don't talk about Bruno and we don't talk about Trader Vic's Suffering Bastard. Notwithstanding, Vic's recipe was different enough to effectively split Navy Grog into two camps. It was decades later when tiki cocktail historian Jeff Beachbum Berry came along to rediscover and decipher these lost recipes. Having most of Don the Beachcomber's recipe figured out, there was one remaining piece eluding Berry. Till he noticed the bartender who made his favorite grog heating and adding to the mix a small amount of honey. Heating it rendered the honey a little more user-friendly, but still left a sticky mess. Upon further research, it was discovered that Don Beach actually solved this issue himself way back in 1950. In a U.S. Navy charity cookbook, Don gave his recipe of boiling one part honey to one part water, essentially creating a honey syrup that's easy to use anytime. time. Trader Vic's grog proved to be a bit more tricky. You see, even though Vic published a number of cocktail books, he was a shrewd businessman, and his recipes often called for a Trader Vic's brand pre-made mix. Great for his bottom line, not so great for learning how to make the drink from scratch. Luckily for us, Beach Bumberry is like the Batman of Tiki. After vigorous research of having to drink countless Navy Grogs, Berry was able to eventually reverse engineer Vic's recipe, but it wasn't the finished version that stuck out. In an early attempt at Vic's Grog, Barry actually created one of my all-time favorite drinks, and one we've already discussed in the Five Fall Jamaicans episode, The Ancient Mariner. Martin Kate of Smuggler's Cove actually uses the Trader Vic's model. Lime juice, grapefruit juice, demerara syrup, allspice dram, or allspice dram, Pot still aged rum, blended lightly aged rum, and column still aged rum. I used Smith & Cross, Real McCoy, and Florida Cagna. Now if you juxtapose that next to Beach Bum Berry's Ancient Mariner, you have lime juice, grapefruit juice, simple syrup, allspice dram, demerara rum, and dark Jamaican rum. I used Pussers and Myers. And there you can see how close Berry was to figuring out Vic's grog. It's fascinating to me how... Through Beach Bum Berry's books, we get to go on a journey of discovery alongside him as we watch the recipes evolve as he uncovers new pieces to hidden tiki treasures. It's so cool to see the DNA of these truly unique cocktails unfold. And let's not forget that collectibles are cool, but it's the drinks that make tiki tiki after all. Honestly, the Trader Vic slash Smuggler's Cove recipe leaves something to be desired. I miss the honey, and even though the spirits blend nicely, it tastes too similar to other drinks. When looking for this flavor profile in a drink, I find Berry's Ancient Mariner is far superior. On the other side of this drink's convoluted history, we are still left with a genre spliced in twain from nape to chops. Hell, we have four of the pillars of tiki making an appearance. Don the Beachcomber, Trader Vic, Beach Bum Berry, and Martin Kate. Throw in Harry Yee and you virtually have the whole Tiki Totem. A venerable Mount Lushmore, if you will. Even if you won't come to drink of it. Get back to the grog! Okay. Here's where I stand. 
Normally, I would honor both recipes, but because Trader Vic's Navy Grog is so different, it's basically its own drink, and the Ancient Mariner, which is a version of Vic's Navy Grog, is already superior to said Grog, I have to conclude that the Ancient Mariner stands alone as the superior drink and kicks Trader Vic's Navy Grog out of the discussion, leaving Don the Beachcomber's original recipe as the one true Navy Grog they will never take our freedom! And now, for an unprecedented second time this episode, let us finally make... A drink. It's actually amazing how good this drink is relative to how simple it is. The first things we're going to need are easy. Lime juice and grapefruit juice. Like always, these are essential to squeeze fresh. Long-time listeners know how much I rail against plastic bottle juices. For things like lime and grapefruit, the difference in fresh juice is noticeable by even the novice palate. Take it from someone who's had to eat crow about homemade ingredients. After making my first batch of homemade grenadine, I will never, ever buy a bottle of red number nine dyed snake oil again. If you ever wonder why your home cocktails don't taste like the bar, it's the ingredients. Even if you're not into home bartending and you just want to make a few drinks, still better to hand squeeze than buying processed. Then we'll need some club soda. I imagine since this drink uses the ice cone rather than crushed ice, Don probably added the soda water to elongate the drink and open up the flavors. I tried using sparkling water, but found no difference, so I just stuck with the club soda. Next would be the aforementioned honey syrup. Again, this is simply equal parts honey and water boiled together. You just want to bring the mixture to a boil, then turn the burner off. We're not trying to cook it, just blend it. Clover honey is recommended. I'll sometimes use wildflower, but it doesn't always render that rich honey taste. Either way, just make sure you always use raw, unfiltered honey. Now, here we are. The best part. Rum. The Navy Grog utilizes three rums from three distinct regions. First, Demerara rum. Demerara is a product of Guyana made by using sugar culled from the Demerara River region. Lemon Heart and Sons is a popular and very delicious brand, but it's very full-bodied. For this recipe, I chose Eldorado 5-Year. It's a bit lighter but still boasts great flavor, whether in a cocktail or as a sipper. Now, Pusser's, even though it's a product of Guyana, is kind of different from a standard Demerara rum due to it being a specific recipe tuned to the old British Navy recipe. And remember, this is a U.S. Navy grog. The caveat to that would be when making the Ancient Mariner. I find Pusser's is better in that drink, and since it's not officially a Navy grog, I'll allow it. For the dark Jamaican rum, I used Meyer's Original Dark. Jamaican rum is known and renowned for its signature funky flavor, achieved by adding extra molasses after distillation. Appleton Estate 12-Year is a great option if you're trying to impress your fancy friends, but it's dark due to aging, which makes it great for sipping, but a true dark Jamaican rum is blended to almost a blackish hue and boasts a rich, heavy burnt molasses funk. Use Myers or Karuba. Finally, we get to the swing ingredient. The light Puerto Rican rum can make or break this cocktail. And not for the reason you might think. Bacardi is a fine spirit, as is Don Q. High dollar Puerto Rican white rums are good, but can get pretty pricey. I found when using Bacardi, it stuck out, and for a light rum, that column still flavor was very prevalent. Kinda like how a Blanco tequila seems to have more forward agave notes than a Reposado or Añejo. The thing is, 
When Don the Beachcomber was creating this drink, the, quote, light Puerto Rican rum would have been much different. It would be foolish not to admit that over time, mass production has changed the flavor of Facundo Bacardi's famous recipe. The light rums back then would have had more of an aged flavor. To compensate for this, I used Bacardi 8-year. I am really impressed with the flavor and versatility of this rum. Great to sip on a hot day or use as a mixer. Mixer. And at $30 a bottle, it's a very affordable alternative to spending $50 on a bottle of Rondo Barrelito. Now, I've told you I prefer regionally categorizing rum over production method, but Puerto Rican rum is made using column still. This has a very distinct flavor. For more of a rummy Spanish style, think uh, Havana Club rum. And the closest thing i found to Cuban rum stateside is Florida Cana 7. I stayed true to Bacardi to honor Don's recipe, but Florida Cana is a viable alternative for around 25 bucks. Now, without further ado, Navy Grog is 3 quarter ounce lime juice, 3 quarter ounce grapefruit juice, 3 quarter ounce club soda, 1 ounce honey syrup, 1 ounce light Puerto Rican rum, 1 ounce dark Jamaican rum, and 1 ounce Demerara rum. Shake with ice and strain into a double rocks glass. Garnish with an ice cone and don't forget to drink with manly aplomb. A note on the ice cone. I was lucky enough to receive a kitchen ninja as a gift which makes perfect snow ice. Simply hold a straw in the center of a flute glass, pack tightly around it with snow ice, creating a tunnel through the center, then gently dump the cone out, remove the straw, and freeze for an hour or so. Serve with the large end in the drink and place a straw through the hole so you're essentially drinking through the ice cone. If you want to skip all that, you can just use a large ice cube, but it's not going to be as cool. After it all comes together, wow! Super well-balanced, silky texture with honey on the back end. The small amount of water definitely thins the drink out pleasantly, letting the flavor of rum shine. Especially the Bacardi, which lends bright floral sweetness to perfectly accompany the molasses funk of the others. Fruit juices are present just so, doing their job behind the scenes and playing that integral role in making it all come together. It's a perfect tiki drink in the sense that everything present has to be there. No more. No less, no stress. Strong drink has long been associated with seafaring misadventures. Those of us who turn and toil in the romantic but foolish endeavors of bygone whimsy know all too well how reaping the spoils of those rapacious rapscallions, as beguiling as it may be, can leave us either one knee up on the bow of our ship with a course set for greatness, or making gallows confessions of our own as we swing from a noose fashioned thread a debaucherous thread. The interesting part of humanity is that there's romance in both. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Tony. This has been Pod Tiki. Credits for this episode can be found under the blog post at podtiki.com. I want to give a special credit to Wayne Curtis's book and a bottle of rum. It was not for that book. I wouldn't be able to do half the research on the history for this episode. It was actually recommended to me um, at one of my first Tiki festivals when I met 
Jeff Beach Bumberry. And I've used that book more than any other book in my library for doing research for these podcasts. I want to make sure I plug our social media. You can always find us on Instagram at pod underscore tiki or my personal page at rum underscore poet. We're also on Facebook and we have a new YouTube channel. So please go follow us on YouTube. We can't really grow it um, without spreading the word. I was going to say we can't really do live videos until we have a certain amount of followers. So please go follow so I can start doing these live podcasts on YouTube. You should be able to find it just by searching Pod Tiki. You can always find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and always at PodTiki.com where you can find all the episodes in our, our archive section and all the recipes we go over in our drink index, our recipe index, that is. Also want to give a shout out to Surfside Sips providing the glass straws and Glass Picks, the official glass straw of Pod Tiki. All you tiki men and tiki women out there, Valentine's Day is coming up. Spring is on the horizon. You got want to get something to for that special someone that loves the tiki in your life? Have something custom made up by Andrew. Or just browse through his large selection of prefab stuff and there's you find something in there for you. You can literally customize every aspect of it. It's amazing. Size, width, color. It's And it's machine washable, durable, and not going to affect the flavor of your drink. Once again, I want to thank you all so much for listening. And we'll see you next time on Pod Tiki. Keep it tiki. <laughs>